There are fewer than 30 men in the world qualified to drive Formula One. A mere half dozen, perhaps, to win. At this moment, I'm inclined to think you are not one of them. Hello, this is Desiree for F1Weekly.com. I'm your in-depth correspondent. Let's go. Welcome to F1Weekly.com. My name is Clark Rogers. I'm the host of the program. I'll be joined by Nasser Hamid, my co-host. This is podcast number 972, January 2nd. 2023, Nasser. Thank you, sir. I say greetings and happy New Year regards. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to 2023. Thanks to your support, we are heading towards 1001 podcasts. Back to Monsieur, who started the show in 2005 when Machismo was world champion. Karma. Thank you, Nasser. On today's program, happy. Happy New Year to the the entire F1 familia. The FIA are ready to welcome new teams to F1. Fire, injury, and competition. It's the 2023 Dakar Rally. And unfortunately, I have to report that Phil Riley has passed away, a giant in the restoration and maintenance of pre- and post-war Grand Prix cars and a big friend of classic sports racing group, especially on the West Coast. So we're going to replay his interview from Podcast 128. That's right, way back from the Stone Age. And just a reminder, we need you to order your Motorsports Memories 2023 Formula One calendar, Crosstown Traffic. Just click on the F1 Weekly Merchandise page, You know, you want to. And one more thing. We need your contributions to keep this program on the air. Just click on the Support F1 Weekly tab. Nass, welcome to the studio. How you doing? I'm doing very good, sir. Happy New Year to you. Finally, 2023 is here. All is not quiet on New Year's Day. Dakar rally blowing dust in the wind in Arabia. And soon we will have cars going USA. And how is Mr. Rogers enjoying the New Year on the right coast? I'm sorry, the left coast. That would be the left coast where the right Ronald Reagan was from. There you go. Everything is wonderful. I mean, we're celebrating the new year. We're going to make it a better year, a better year for the world. So peace on earth and all that. And of course, Dakar Rally. Wow. Science Senior is out there giving it his best, trying to get another trophy. And what's really cool is Carlos, uh, his son, is there as well, hanging out. It's fun. He's just there as a spectator, but it's pretty fun stuff. And some of the, I call it cinematography. I mean, you know, that's what's so great about the Dakar Rally. It's not just in one little racetrack. I mean, the photos are awesome. The slow motion, the trucks. 
I mean, all the different classes are absolutely so intense and wonderful. So NAS, yeah, I've been consumed by that. Of course, working at F1 Weekly, making sure you get in to Daytona, and then we'll be looking at Sebring. There's a lot to do. Indeed, indeed, and I'm also loving the Dakar Rally. We also have Race of Champions, which is organized by Michelle Mouton and her partner, who is from Sweden, and that's where the event will take place this month. That was also happening in Saudi Arabia. Now, not surprisingly, Sebastian Vettel and Mick Schumacher will represent the team Deutschland. And you know, Seb had won several times with Mick's papa. Finlandia will be represented by Mika Hakkinen and Valtteri Bottas. Now, this is interesting, the third team. Team GB will be represented by David Coulthard and what I would call, not a pleasant, but a PC surprise, Miss Jamie Chadway. I thought GB's armory of talent included names like Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, Lando Norris. And we'll just stop there. And Mr. Rogers, another of my favorite motorsports events, even before I got hooked up on Formula One, is happening this month, the Monte Carlo Rally. And thanks to you and Mr. Bill English, when I'm approved for the Daytona qualifying in the race uh, for the media credentials, I will go there. And apparently the Indy Lights are doing their preseason testing at Miami Homestead for Indy Lights. The series is now called Indy Next or Indy NXT. And they are testing there on Monday, which is January 16th. I think that's the MLK Martin Luther King holiday. And if the stars align, I will jump in my Prius and drive down to uh, Homestead and hopefully do some interviews. Apparently, Jones' uh, grandson is also uh, racing in this series this year. And, you know, we definitely want to do a lot of interviews. COVID put a cap on it. But now time has come again to enjoy the other Corona, Con Limon. And Mr. Rogers, are you a Corona or Tecate Hombre? Sir, it's Tecate all the way, man. Great. Okay, speaking of interviews, tomorrow I am doing a chat with young Canadian talent by the name of Matt Clark. And we will post this conversation very soon. Last year he won the inaugural U.S. Formula Juniors Championship, and now he is moving up uh, a series, and we'll have him give us the details in the interview. Now, this was of much interest to me, Mr. Rogers, especially after having met and interviewed the driver, and he won the very first race I ever watched in my life. Former Ferrari driver on the L. Davis program, the team principal must go down and go down hard. Former Ferrari driver Rene Arnoux says the team should have replaced Mattia Binotto as its team principal long ago. The team announced at the end of uh, last month he was standing down after four years in charge. Ferrari began the 2022 season strongly, but things went kaput and there were errors from the team, the strategists and drivers also. And Mr. Arnoux said, and I quote, The mistakes he made for me in Formula 1 are unforgivable. I've never been on Binotto's side. Someone who says, it will be better next year, it will be better next year, doesn't deserve that place. According to him, Binotto should have been replaced several years ago. 
And he continued, Behavior like this is intolerable when you're at the helm of the best team in the world. You may or may not like Jean Todd, but he would never have said it will be better next year. He won, and when he won, he thought about next year. But there are few Todd and Ron Dennis around. End quote. And Mr. Rogers, before I get your opinion on this, on your fellow Francais, I just want to say, I note with interest all this coming from a driver who was released from Scuderia Ferrari contract early in very dubious circumstances. Over to you now, sir. We call that Fernandoism. Oh, oh, you mean, you mean René Arnaud got a hold of his book, Burning Bridges? Yes. Les ponts sont brûlés. Yeah, I mean, I dig it. Dude, he's bitter. That bitterness never left his tummy. He's still bitter. And it. Bonotto should have left a long time ago. I mean, he's sort of got a good point. I mean, it's Formula One. It should be severe, machismo, and machismo. And I agree, we'll be better next year. I mean, you try that in football, you're not going to last very long. So, ladies and gentlemen, our new is absolutely correct. And, sir, you know, a few weeks ago, news came out that the Chinese Grand Prix has been canceled and the Portuguese authorities are saying they have the money and a beautiful track in Algarve and looks like it will replace that. Now, I just today saw that the Chinese authorities may try to get back the 2023 race on the schedule because uh, apparently they're having some success with reducing the COVID cases. So, we'll see what happens. Would you like to see the race in Shanghai or at the Portimao circuit in Algarve? I'll stick with Portimao. Yeah, Portimao circuit is not designed by Herman Telke, so it's a very beautiful circuit. And I would like to see it uh, go to Portugal, and we'll see what happens. And, sir, speaking of uh, another race, new race, Vegas Strip Show will be the only new circuit in 2023. With the race time, I believe the race is starting at 10 p.m. local time. And as Mr. Bob Warsha used to say, time, that's the time to show your legs, girls. That, that's, uh, you know, it's interesting. Liberty Media is promoting the race and they've apparently bought a big piece of land where they will just develop the whole thing for this Formula One Razzmatazz. And uh, what's your take on this thing? Is this going to be a big success for the local uh, fans or or is it just going to be a global fanfare? It's an entirely global fanfare. I mean, when you're selling $5 million suites with a chauffeur, it's not the locals. I have friends that live in Vegas. They're regular people, Nasser. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be hilarious, to be honest with you. But I think it'll be successful for about four years. It'll wear down. Lewis will still be trying to get that eighth championship, and people are just going to get bored with it. Oh, you mean Lewis will be trying to get his eighth because Alonso has won his third, fourth, and fifth? How did you know? The Cinderella story. Oh, man. How did I know? I live in a fantasy land, so I see him winning all the races. So that's the way it goes sometimes. Okay, sir, next, uh, this is this is very interesting, and I'd like to get uh, feedback from our listeners and from Mr. Rogers. The segment is called Crashing the Crash.net Party. As you know, Mr. Rogers, uh, Crash.net is a very well-known website, and if I'm not mistaken, the gentleman who owns this website 
also owns the organization that publishes the annual auto course book, or at least it used to be that way. And I've met him, and very nice chap. And this uh, website has been around for a while. Uh, there is an interesting article on their webpage called Which Team Has the Best and Worst Driver Lineup for F1 2023? The story is written by Lewis Larkham, who's a very well-known uh, journalist, and this is Lewis Larkham, not Lewis Hamilton. Let's start from the bottom. According to Mr. Larkham, the worst driver pairing is at Williams between Alex Albon and Logan Sargent. He goes on to explain that is purely a consequence of Logan Sargent being such an unknown quantity. Do you agree with this uh, assessment, sir? I do. I do. I think it's very accurate. Yes, I have to agree with him on this one. Moving on to second worst driver pairing. According to him, it's at Alpha Tauri between Yuki Tsunoda and Nick DeFries. Now, I say if it was not for Logan being a rookie in 2023, this will be the worst driving pairing in my humble opinion. And I know you have very high regards uh, for Yuki Tsunoda, right? I do, and at least he'll be able to see Nick eye to eye. You think he will match him in performance or blow him away? No, I mean their height is similar. Oh, okay. Okay, good. Okay, now, number eight. The Ball Busters, K-Mag and the Hulk at Haas F1. I do see a lot of migraine for Gunter Steiner here because of the two drivers he has, and I see the same situation brewing um, at uh, Alpine between um, Ocon and Gasly. We will see. Now, it, it gets more interesting. We're going to now take a look at the top three in the very humble opinion of Mr. Larkham. And I'm sure this will get some motors revved up. Number three pairing is the world champions. Red Bull as the third best driver pairing with Max and Checo. This is a good observation and a valid case can be made. What say you, senor? I, I totally agree. Ask Max to do something nice for Checo. We know what the answer is. You go to Mercedes, they don't ask those kinds of questions. And when they did, the number one got number one status. So this is very important. But yes, there's more love at the top and less love at number three. So I agree. There isn't that much love because Max is a machine and has no emotions. He's a winning machine and has no emotions. Agree with you and Mr. Larkin. Number two driver pairing, riding out on a prancing horse in a star-spangled Italian rodeo, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz Jr. at Scuderia Ferrari. I think this is a very, very good pairing. I think Charles is in the same league, almost the same league as Max, and we have to see if they give him the right package this year and see what he can do. If both, if Ferrari has the package that's really very dominating, do you think Carlos Sainz will have as many wins as Charles Leclerc? That's a tough call. I think Carlos Sainz knows deep down in his gut that there lies a number two. So, And with uh, Frederick Wessel arriving, I think it will become a reality. Yes, he knows the history of number one and number two, how well it functions, and it's tradition at Ferrari to have that defined, and it will be back in town because there's no more of this sloppy, sloppy marinara 
kind of decision making. We're going back to Achtung and Schnell. There you go. The best drama pairing. I can hear the hearts breaking and cries of British bias. Coming over on the digital airwaves for Mr. Lewis Larkham. The best driver pairing is that Mercedes featuring Machismo's BFF, Lewis Hamilton, and George Russell. I have to agree with him. Lewis is a match for Max, if not ahead of him. And George is a match for LCH and maybe ahead of LCH, time will tell. But he is definitely ahead of Checo in terms of uh, pure racing talent at this time. And, you know, George Russell won a race this year before Lewis Hamilton, kind of like JB winning at uh, uh, McLaren before Lewis. So George has stamped his authority that here comes a cage rattler. What is your expert opinion, Mr. Rogers? Well, it's a British journalist, British teams. If you read Autosport, there's really only one team in Formula One. I know I'm exaggerating, but that's the way we do it here. Listen, I think it's accurate in terms of love. I mean, the amount of praise Toto has heaped on this man, he has to be number one anywhere. Yes, I have to agree with Mr. Toto and Mr. Larkin. Okay, your Dios, Machismo, and teammate Lance Stroll were listed number six behind Gasly and Ocon, but ahead of Botas and Guan Yu Zhu. As they say in a song from Steely Dan, Hard times befallen soul survivors. I say you have to sleep in the bed you make. And if you pull yourself a futon, then there is not much room for championship trophies. Shall we move on, or are you going to get me a bag of ruffles? <laughs> oh, no. No, I have no problem. Are you kidding? Uh, this is 2023. I've been putting up with this since, what, 2007 and a half? So, <laughs> so listen, my skin... I have the calluses. These slings and arrows just bounce off, just like Superman. Oh, yeah, so you have crocodile uh, skin now. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Okay, you know, uh, talking, you were speaking earlier of Dakar Rally. Uh, once upon a time, it went from Paris to Dakar, the wonderful capital city of Senegal, then moved to South America, and in the last few years, the sands of time have shifted the event to Saudi Arabia the new hotbed of motorsports with a fistful of petrol dollars. Some of the top drivers in the car category have very familiar names from various series. Three of them are electrified by Audi's e-tron vehicles. One of them is Sweden's Matthias Ekstrom, who had a long DTM career with Audi and once upon a time raced at Sears Point in California in American version of DTM, Lenascar. Robbie Gordon's BFF and one of the biggest Dakar legends, Stefan Peter Hensel. This time he is driving an Audi e-tron and not a Mini, which in the wonderful words of Robbie, is for girls. Remember that comment? Every day. Okay, the third Audi ace is, as you mentioned earlier, Carlos Sainz Sr., WRC and Dakar champion. Earlier he got into a war of words, little brief war of words with Nasir Alathia. I have a feeling that one of these days we are going to see his bambino Carlito drive for the same team in Formula 1. Time will tell. And I'm even more convinced of this because Carlos Sainz Jr. is now a race winner. And by the time Audi comes in, he will have a lot of experience, hopefully more wins. But I think he will be feeling the heat 
from the number one treatment for Charles Leclerc and he will look for greener pastures. All I will say before you do that, just study career moves by Ricciardo and another driver who shall remain nameless at least for once. Okay, then we have Homie of the Host and the man who won numerous WRC titles, Sebastian Loeb. Now, this is another guy, Mr. Rogers, I would really like to interview one of these days. He is driving a pro-drive prepared car called Hunter. Last year, he was second in Dakar, and he has been second on a previous, previous occasion also. Defending champion and my long-lost cousin, Nasser Al-Atiyah, is leading the charge for Toyota. And I think he won the stage today, today being Monday. One thing I will say, Mr. Rogers, and you very rightly said it earlier also, whether it's Sahara in Africa or Atacama in South America or the sands of Arabia, it's amazing how beautiful the desert scenery can be. I am really digging it, to borrow a phrase from you. What say you? It's true. The photography, the cinematography, a lot of video that's high def and it's extremely beautiful. It's awesome, uh, especially when you have a good commentator and narrator. I, I'm loving it. I, I'm surprised they don't have it on American TV live. Yes. Okay, what else is happening in the world of motor racing that you would like to talk, sir? We are getting ready for Daytona where the competition is going to be awesome, awesome, awesome. Danica has been in the news lately, but we don't really want to talk about that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward. You know, there are so many manufacturers in uh, sports car racing now, both in the American side and the European WEC side, which is very good for the sport. And they always have some vintage cars and old BMWs. So I really enjoy going there. It's a very nice place, Daytona Beach. I'm just waiting for the media approval then I'll make some uh, arrangements. And if he can do some uh, nice interviews, you know, that'll be very nice, man. I think that's awesome, Nasser. So why don't we take a little break here, and then we're going to come back with the Phil Riley interview from 2007. You know, that could have been the week we talked to Milka Duno. You know, that is very possible. That is very possible. And that was a very good interview, too. Well, it was exciting. I don't remember the interview. Okay, so let's take a quick break and I need some aqua and minerale like Imola and then we shall return. We'll be back after this brief message. Hi, I'm Carlos Sainz and you are listening F1 Weekly. Welcome back to F1Weekly.com. Clark Rogers here, your host. In now as we spin the globe and go around the world with Motorsports Mondial and the king, the sultan himself, Nasser Hamid. Thank you, sir. And so, uh, today, before we present our main feature, let's uh, give our tribute to Mr. Phil Riley, who passed away. And you have more information on where this took place, so maybe you can chip in some information before the chit-chat with him. I think we were at Sonoma. This is Janu This was played January 2007, so it was probably done in October or November. I'm not sure because it was a long time ago. But that's what's so good about this program. We have these wonderful conversations that we save over the years and we share with you. So this is Phil Riley. Uh, and of course, our condolences go out to his family. But uh, he was based right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. 
He had his own business repairing Grand Prix cars. And uh, I'll let my old intro take it away. Okay, here's a bonus interview. Very interesting person. His name is Phil Riley, owner of the Brabham BT44, which was featured in Road and Track in 2005, driven at Watkins Glen by our own Bobby Rahal. Uh, Phil Riley is also the mechanic for a number of these cars. He owns a restoration shop that does Formula One cars. And uh, listen to the interview. Interesting story about how we acquired the car. Uh, this is great stuff. Of course, these things don't happen anymore in this day and age. But please, listen to this interview. Bonus interview about the Brabham BT44. I think you'll find it very intriguing. Thank you. Clark Rogers here for F1Weekly.com. I'm with Phil Riley. And uh, Mr. Riley, obviously, this is a gorgeous uh, BT-044 Brabham. I believe this is was tested by Bobby Rahal last year, uh, featured in Road and Track. Yes, Bob drove it twice last year. He drove it at Infineon Raceway with the IRL event and then at Watkins Glen. And at the Glen, he won the race, and uh, it was a pretty special time. We... Yeah, from, from the article, he was extremely enthusiastic about test driving this car. You practically had to yank him out of it. Well, he, he's an old friend. We used to race together in Atlantic days, and uh, I didn't drive, but I mechanic. And uh, I've had the car since 1985, and, and we've been trying to get him in it since then. <laughs> but uh, he, he went to the Glen in 1974, and fell in love with the car and I, I did the same thing and both of us it never got any better than this little car and so the, the chance to drive it something you really wanted to do but never never could work it out with his schedule and everything and so we finally got it done and it was perfect because it was at Watkins Glen and he drove magnificently and we had a great time that's great now the car obviously is in great shape has it always been in this kind of form no. <laughs> it was a pretty big mess when I got it. And, and uh, it was uh, 1985. I uh, was advertised in Autosport. Uh, and uh, I was the only person to answer that. And as it turned out, uh, it was $10,000, which I didn't have. And the guy gave me six months to pay for it. And so it was truly at a time when the, a Formula One car was of no value. And... and uh, um, as it turns out, it was a good thing to do. <laughs> no, that's a that's a great story. Great story. But it was pretty pretty whooped at that point. I mean, well, you've done a fantastic job. And um, also, what other F1 cars do you own? Oh, I, I, this is it. I I have a company that restores old cars, uh, and we maintain the next five of these uh, are all cars that we do. And I do a lot of the engines. Uh, there's myself and two other people, one in India and one uh, in here in California, that do these DFE engines. So uh, you're a mechanic extraordinaire and a driver. Well, a driver is a, I'm a mechanic. <laughs> That's great. Nasser, any questions? How about some history on the car? I, we believe uh, Carlos Pache drove this vehicle. It's painted up as Carlos Pache's uh, because he was someone I, I just... He was one of my favorite drivers. I never knew him, but, but the people in the team, who I, I know a lot of them, and everybody just thought the world of Carlos. He was just a wonderful guy, I guess, and a hell of a driver. Uh, this is actually the John Watson car. 
And John Watson drove for a, a private team, Hexagon, right. and it was painted brown and orange. And uh, That's how he made his Grand Prix debut, I believe. In, in well, a, no, he had driven before, uh, both for a private March team and for Surtees. And um, in, in 74, uh, this deal was put together to run the Brabham. And, and it was funny, we saw John at Monterey, Mexico earlier this year. And he said, you know, that is the best Formula One car I ever drove. And he drove some pretty good ones. <laughs> That's a fantastic statement. I mean, he, he just he absolutely loved the car and does to this day. And so hopefully we can get him in it someday. And that would be fantastic. Now, interesting you say that Carlos Pache was one of your favorites or your main favorite, his teammate. Who was another Carlos Reutemann was one of my uh, real favorites, you know. Oh, well, they were both. Yeah. They were wonderful, yeah. And, and it was a wonderful time at Brabham because it was a, a tight little team that had huge talent. And, and who owned the team? Bernie Ecclestone, of course. <laughs> and Gordon Murray was the designer. Absolutely. Herbie Blash was the yeah. team manager. Um, Bob Dance was there. Derek Walker. Uh, Peter Parrott. It, it, there was many people who went on to have great careers in racing uh, and uh, you know it, it, I think if they hadn't gotten diverted into the Alfa Romeo thing they would have been world champions in, in 75 Brabham always had best looking cars I mean you know uh, they had the uh, even the late ones the, 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 when uh, PK was driving for them some of those cars were just absolutely gorgeous I remember the 83 car it's just a beautiful Parmalat Arrow yeah, 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 yeah. That, was, that was an amazing thing. Well, this one is remarkable because it's so short. It's got a 94-inch wheelbase, which is sort of Formula Ford size, and um, very narrow track, and, and, and yet it doesn't, it doesn't have any evil characteristics of being short. Uh, it's, it's really good on fast tracks. Now, have you had a chance to meet Brabham himself, Jack Brabham, or Ron Torrenite, the guy who designed the car? Well, this car this car was after their era, but, but I have met Jack, uh, and uh, but uh, this was after Ecclestone bought the team in 72, and uh, so the designer was Gordon Murray, and this was his first blank sheet of paper. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to us. One more question. Is the car easy to set up for Laguna Seca? It's very good here, yeah. I mean, for me anyway. There you have it. Thank you very much, Phil. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for talking to F1Weekly.com. Thank you. Pleasure. Phil Riley, thank you for joining F1Weekly.com. Thank you. And there you have it, Nass. So let's go to the main feature. Yes, sir. Okay, sir, we just said goodbye to 2022, so I thought it would be a good idea to look in the rearview mirror and reflect on seasons in a decade, 10 years after this is 10 years prior kind of stuff. So we shall start with 10 years from 2022, which will be 2012. What an amazing season this was. The first seven races were won by seven different drivers. 
Jensen Button won the opening round and also the final race in Brazil. Pastor Maldonado became the only driver from Venezuela to win a Formula One Grand Prix. This historic achievement coming in Barcelona, and he had quite a company on the podium, flanked by Fernando Alonso and Kimi Raikkonen. And this was also the final year of racing for Michael Schumacher, who came back not in a Ferrari, but in a Silver Arrows Mercedes. The championship went to the season finale in Interlagos, and Sebastian Vettel almost lost the championship on the opening lap when he was spun around by Bruno Senna. But he was able to continue despite damage to the car. He managed to finish in, in the points sixth and collected his third world championship in a row. In doing so, he denied another driver by only three points from collecting his third championship. Who could that be, Mr. Rogers? Mi hermano. Exactly. Nando. Then we go back to 2002. Prancing Horse and the Red Baron continued to blitz the competition. A season of uber domination by Michael Schumacher in his Ferrari. On way to his third successive championship, Schumi won 11 races out of 17. And I did not realize this till I was doing some research for this segment. He finished every race on the podium, podium and wrapped up the championship with victory at Manicourt with six races remaining. So very, very impressive. His teammate, the world-famous two-legged Rubinho, was second in the championship, and together they scored 221 points, same as all other teams combined. Williams, with BMW power, was second in the Constructors' Championship with 92 points. So second place, 92, winner, 221. Quite a season. Now we go to 1992, sir. After breaking his neck, and back and keep going. Day of days for R. Nige came in 1992 with the active suspension and most advanced racing car ever built, at least in Formula 1. Talk about being lucky. The season had 16 races. Il Leone had a teammate, Riccardo Patrese, who took one victory during the season at Suzuka. Mansell, the electrical engineer from Birmingham, was on full charge and won nine races, including the first five. Mr. Rogers talk about all oh, the memories. Round six of the season was not televised live in the United States. I was watching cable news network, aka CNN, waiting for the sports update when I saw the news ticker at the bottom of the screen saying, Ayrton Senna snaps Nigel Mansell's streak of five wins by winning the Monaco Grand Prix. I was happy as a lark in London town. You know, I never understood why Monaco Grand Prix for years and years, the premier race, or at least the crown jewel of Formula One, for years and years, uh, it was televised uh, tape delay. And I'm sure there was a reason somewhere. But nowadays we get to see it, I think, live in action. 1982, season of tragedy upon tragedy. Keke Rosberg becomes the first flying fin to be world champion. Dr. Harvey Postlewhite designed the beautiful 126C2 for Scuderia Ferrari. This car should have easily carried Gilles Villeneuve to a much-deserved world championship or made his teammate Didier Peroni 
the first French war champion. As it sadly turned out, by the end of the season, Villeneuve was dead and Pironi was in hospital with serious injuries to both legs. In Montreal, Pironi was fastest in qualifying and dedicated his pole position to Gilles Villeneuve, which did not go well with some drivers who were friends with Gilles. K.K. Rosberg was quoted, now I must stress, he was quoted, I'm not sure if he said this in a magazine, but he was quoted as saying, if it was not for Peroni, Gilles would still be here. Third tragedy of the season was to happen soon after the lights went out in Montreal. Peroni stalled on the grid and was hit by Osella of Riccardo Paletti, with fatal results for the young Italian driver. And you know, there is a track now named in the memory of Riccardo Paletti in his country of origin, Italy. Well, once again, I have to quote Bob Warsha. He had some good sayings during the TV telecast. He used to say, apart from that, Mrs. Lincoln, the show was very good. And indeed it was. There were 16 races in the 1982 season. It started with driver strike at Kailami, where all the drivers were holed up in one big hotel room. In 16 races, there were 11 different winners. Keke Rosberg took the title in Las Vegas, and with only one victory during the season, he became the first driver to win the championship with one race win since Mike Hawthorne in 1958. Ferrari won the Constructors' Championship as the announcer, I think his name was Anthony Marsh, said after qualifying in his distinctive deep voice on pole position Mario Andretti of the United States. And of course he was uh, driving a Ferrari. And I was there to witness this wonderful achievement and Grand Premio on Sunday, my first ever Formula One race. Sir, any of these... Let me ask you a question. Before your Dios, Nando came on the scene. So we're talking up until 2000... Let's just say 2000, up until 2000. Is there a season that you have very fond memories of or maybe two seasons that you remember more fondly than anything else? Oh, I really liked the 94-95 season. I thought that was exciting. Formula One, man, it was competition and Schumacher was there. I mean, you know, we had the terrible happening in May of 94 and then, I don't know, those stand out really heavy for me. You know, the 1994 season after Senna was killed, I was living in San Diego in those days. I remember very well, I would watch all the races just for the heck of watching them, if you know what I mean. That was a very sad uh, season. But, you know, sun comes up next day and life goes on. Sir, anything else you would like to talk about uh, from the world of motor racing Because we, before we go into Musical Mondial? Ah, yes, Musical Mondial. Uh, well... It's going to be a busy season. I'm telling you, there's a lot of racing this year. A lot of inter- interesting things, including a German team going into NASCAR. Yes, indeed, Germans in NASCAR. So that's going to be exciting. I know it sounds silly, but it's it's something to watch. Well, you know, I have a feeling that, uh, you know, everybody is talking big, but I have a feeling that uh, 2023... We may have four drivers fight for the championship cutthroat style. Wouldn't that be incredible? It would be incredible for El Machismo and the rest of us. Yeah, we will see how that goes. 
Okay, sir, on that happy note, we come to Musical Mondial. This is a very important one. This is the first Musical Mondial of the season. I think it has to be dedicated to Machismo behind the wheel in Oviedo and Machismo behind the mic in San Ho. Both are passionate about Formula One, both speak Spanish, and most important, both are members of the Mutual Affection Club. Thank you for listening and please enjoy a little Grover Washington Jr.'s tribute to these fine youths. The times we had, the fun and games are things that I can't forget. We share in those very special memories all lovers can smile about. And I'm so glad you feel the same. And there's nothing to regret. It's great what the simple love affair can do To bring all your feelings out Watching you, watching me Watching you, watching me It's so easy to see It's so easy And it's easy. not loving you The ghost, the starlight in your eyes Watching, watching you, watching you, watching you. It's so obviously true It's so obviously true And it's your loving me That makes my life a paradise Thank you, sir. So that should do it, Mr. Rogers. Uh, we will be back. Uh, very pleased to say we have not missed any uh, week where we did not do a podcast. And we are marching toward 1,000, historic 1,000 podcasts which should be happening in June or July, and hopefully we will be broadcasting from Mr. Brazier's palatial uh, restaurant in, I think it's in uh, Leighton Buzzard or Mentmore, which used to be owned by Mark Weber. So we are really looking forward to this thing. And also, sir, in June is the Le Mans 24-hour race, and the Le Mans 24-hour race started in 1923, and in 1973... It was the race commentary on this race from BBC World Service with the commentator by the name of Robin Richard saying Matra, Ferrari, Matra as the cars went by. Deuxième victoire consécutive pour Matra au Mans. La France a vaincu face à l'Italie. Le public est en liesse lors de cette 41e édition des 24 heures qui aura été fantastique. Pescarolo et Larousse s'imposent devant la Ferrari 312 PB de Merzario et Pache, la seule rescapée. Le duo Jabouille-Josso, revenu des profondeurs du classement après une remontée d'anthologie, se classe finalement troisième. Scène de joie et de liesse entre le public et ses héros sur la ligne droite du Mans. Gérard Larousse est porté en triomphe. Il a enfin réussi à s'imposer après ses deux deuxièmes places. 4853 km parcourus à plus de 202 km heure de moyenne pour cette victoire française dans la Sarthe. Pescarolo et Larousse, deux beaux vainqueurs, deux persévérants, deux pilotes populaires et appréciés. And that's those sounds basically in a few seconds evaporated anything and everything life had to offer for me. And I said, this is what I want to be interested in. So here we are with F1 Weekly broadcasting from San Jose, California. Operating from both coasts, which is beautiful. Keep up the good work, Nass. This podcast is over. I thank all of you. Good night. Bye-bye. 